T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Merry Christmas, Aaron Kupek with you on this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Richard Freund. He is the Bertram and Gladys Aaron Professor of Jewish Studies at Christopher Newport University in Virginia, formerly of the University of Hartford. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. It is the annual Christmas show. This was started by our friend Sam Gendrella, who we lost four years ago almost. He was the previous host of this show, and it's a tradition Sam started along with Dr. Freund. Doctor, tell us how this all began. Well, I, uh, Sam, he was a person who was very interested in almost everything, but he was very interested in my uh, archaeological work. So um, at the time, when we started almost 20 years ago, uh, I had just finished excavating a cave on the Dead Sea, one of the largest caves ever found on the Dead Sea. And we had found coins, we had found uh, writings. It was, it was very interesting in general. And he started to talk to me about it. He says, you know what? This would make a very interesting story for people who wake up on Christmas Day and wanted to know what was the Holy Land like in the first century. So that's how it began. And every year we come back and I, I'm pretty active as, a, as an archaeologist. So I had new things almost every year for him. And he was always curious. And, you know, I went many times and I took many people uh, from Connecticut with me, students especially. And Sam says to me one day, must have been, 2010. And he said, you know what? I want to go with you. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm not doing something that, uh, right now, but uh, the next next couple of years, I'll be, I'll be coming up on something where I'm going to do something in the winter, which will be even better because it's cooler as opposed to going in the summer. And, you know, as we got closer to the, the date, he said to me, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this. And it was one of those kinds of things where Everybody has one of these aspirational moments where they want to do something in their lives, their, their bucket list. And for him, this show provided him with at least a vicarious amount of pleasure for something that he didn't get to do, but he wanted to do. So that's how it started. And I think other people, you know, I've, I've over the years, I've gotten people from uh, TIC's um, member listeners 
and they've they've written to me, they've called me, and they said, you know, I think I want to go with you. And some people have actually gone with us. So it is something that uh, people have on their bucket list. I want to go on an archaeological excavation and listening to it and connecting it with this first century context of the beginnings of Christmas is something that I think means a lot to people as they're searching for meaning on Christmas morning. Last we spoke, you were at the University of Hartford. You are now at Christopher Newport University in Virginia. Tell us about your move south. Well, they built a new university here in Newport News, Virginia. And uh, I'm happy to say that they basically looked me up on Google and they said, you know, we'd love to start something here. We love what you're doing at the University of Hartford. Do you think you could come here and do that for us? And, you know, it's, it's one of those kinds of things where you get an opportunity to go to another place and start something new. And the University of Hartford, I spent 20 years building this really international program. And I said, you know what? I could do this again. And so they made me an offer, really, that I couldn't refuse. And uh, I have to say that the, the people here have been extremely, extremely gracious about taking all of my projects with me. And they're very excited. And the students here are very excited. So it's, it's all good. It's all good. Still, it must have been a, a difficult decision to leave Connecticut. It was, it was, you know, the, the idea that you spend 20 years building a program, an international uh, uh, program, and uh, the university uh, really did see us as a, a center of excellence. And you know what? What's very good, they've hired a new director, and I'm happy that, that she'll be able to continue, I think, the work that we were doing. Now, it's been two years since we last chatted. Certainly, the pandemic has loomed large in the past almost year. What have you been up to? You see, this is, this is the great thing about uh, doing archaeology all year round, is I have projects that I work, work on all year, and sometimes I plan them for a year, and sometimes I can't get out to the field for a variety of reasons. And... I was lucky. Uh, you know, COVID has really struck most of the excavations. They're all shut down starting in March of uh, 2020. But I was out in the field in January. I was working on something in 2019. So I have a few different things that I know will be coming out very soon. And that's why it's good that we can, we can talk about this so I can uh, get your li listeners attuned to listening to the program, getting new information, and they may be able to actually uh, hear about the, the projects I've been working on in two new media uh, outlets that I've been working on. So I'll start with one. I did a, uh, a show uh, on History Channel called The Unexplained. Uh, the Unexplained, and the host is William Shatner from Star Trek. And they called me about this show and they said, um, we'd like to do a program with you, something unique. What are you working on that's unique? And I said, well, you do know that uh, I'm the person who discovered Atlantis. And there's, I have two documentaries on Atlantis 
uh, both with uh, National Geographic. So they looked at it and they said, so what new things do you have? Well, I'm going out to the field now and I think we found one of the last pieces of the walls of Atlantis. So you can look forward to seeing it. You can look it up on your local uh, channel. It's uh, the History Channel. It's called The Unexplained. And uh, William Shatner uh, is obviously interested in these unexplained phenomena like the discovery of Atlantis. So that you can look forward. That'll be probably in January. And in February, I have a, an entire new uh, documentary that's coming out by Storyhouse Productions on Atlantis as well in February. So I, I have to say, I was invited to do this. It's not something that I, I went out, I'm looking for Atlantis. But back about um, 12 years ago, I was invited by Spaniards in Southern Spain in a marsh where they, they had space photography taken by one of the space shuttles that had um, taken a, a photograph of the marsh now, this marsh is one of the largest marshes in all of Europe. And the marsh extends from the city of Seville all the way down to the city of Cadiz. It's about 250 square miles of marsh. Um, and it's, it's the southern part of Spain. So this is a marsh. It's, it's closed. Obviously, you can't really go in most of the year, but it dries out once a year. And Spanish archaeologists were working in the marsh and saw that there was something embedded, a massive, uh, massive <laughs> pieces uh, underneath the, the, the sediment. So they, they wanted me to bring in my technology. I use, uh, for those listeners who haven't heard about this, I use a technology it's used in gas and oil exploration. It's called electrical resistivity tomography. It's like an MRI for the ground. And so even, you know, traditional archeology span is very difficult. You have to be able to get to the site. You have to be able to dig the site. And sometimes you, 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 it's located in an area where you really can't dig. So what do you do? You throw up your hands? No, you can use this non-invasive uh, form of this MRI for the ground that tells you exactly where something is underneath the ground. And it goes, by the way, because it's used in the gas and oil industry, because they use it to try and find gas and oil, what it does is it can identify stone, bone, glass, any forms of metal. Uh, it can uh, tell you about uh, fired clay, unfired clay, and it tells you what's below the surface. Because, you know, if you go, we have to look for gas and oil, you really want to know if it's there before you sink uh, millions of dollars in the ground to, to look for it. So I had this idea that I would do this, and I, I've been doing this for about 25 years. So National Geographic came to me and told me that these Spanish archaeologists are working in the marsh, and they've been working in the marsh for five years, and they can't figure out where to do any work in the marsh. And they said, could you come? So I was invited by the Spanish archeologists with our team, our geoscience team, went out to the field 
And I have to tell you, we went and we identified where there was something buried, very deep, uh, 13 meters, 10 meters, about 30 feet below the surface. And so what we did was we were able to uh, do coring and take samples. And over the years, <laughs> over the years, we've discovered that there was a lot of materials underneath the surface. So in one very keen observation, an archaeologist about 100 years ago in Spain excavated an area of the dunes by the marsh. And in it, he found a massive piece of a stone wall. I mean, a massive piece in the middle of the dunes. So what we did was we, we looked and uh, this is where we think the last remnants of this um, ancient city of Atlantis existed in the southern, in southern Spain. And it was covered after a series of earthquakes hit the area, a massive mega tsunami basically inundated the area with sand and it collapsed. And it just so happens that that is exactly the way Plato uh, describes the destruction of Atlantis. It took place over a very short period of time and that it was located in Southern Spain and to find it was really, I think for the Spaniards, a, a massive, massive undertaking. And I'm glad we were able to help. Now, now, now I find myself, uh, doing these documentaries because people are very interested uh, in finding out what information we really do have on places like this. So that's one thing. I don't think I, 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 I think, I think I got to talk about with Sam back in 2012 after the National Geographic uh, documentary came out. So at least he, he loved the story. So here in, uh, as a, commemoration. I'll give you the update. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Richard Freund, Bertram and Gladys Aaron, Professor of Jewish Studies at Christopher Newport University in Virginia, formerly of the University of Hartford. Now, before the pandemic hit, was excavation ongoing there? Look, uh, what we do is, we since the marsh is closed. It's underwater, basically. The water table is very high. So it's underwater most of the year. And only for about a month every year in September is it possible to do any work. So what we did was we surveyed the uh, massive area of the marsh where the, the structures were seen by photographs from space. And every year, I think that they go back to the site and they do a little part of it. So we, give, we gave them a map, we gave them a real map. It shows where we think the areas are. It's a site that's closed to everybody but uh, scientists. So the scientific team that oversees it, they're able to go back. And I'm happy that it's, it's, it's in Spain, it's a, a real place. And uh, what, I, what, I, what I discovered in January, I was there last January, what I discovered last January is a big cottage industry now so that you can go out into the dunes and see the areas right below where the um, uh, the marsh is. And lots of people uh, take this tour. They get on, they get on these, uh, these um, huge uh, big wheel uh, trucks and they go out into the dunes 
and they're shown and they and people basically this is where we think atlantis is so it's turned into a cottage industry so it's very i was very um in one way i was i was very happy in the other way i can understand the scientists probably are not so happy that it's been identified so because so many people are going to want to uh, visit the site but the one reason that i i think that that sam and i began in 2002 i was working in i'm still working in uh, nazareth um and that's where we we connected on the issue of uh christmas uh in nazareth i've been working for the past uh, almost 20 years at a place called the Church of the Annunciation. And what happened was I started working in, in Israel about uh, 30 years ago. And unfortunately, I, uh, as I say, a lot of places you can't get to because structures have been built on top. And I have this new technology. I use not only the electrical resistivity tomography, I use another technique called ground penetrating radar where we can see the subsurface. And sometimes, if it's possible, I'm able to excavate what's below the surface. So about uh, 20 years ago, I was working at a place called Mary's Well in Nazareth. And Nazareth is, of course, the place where, which is Jesus' hometown. You know, people know that Jesus was from the Gospels, that he, he was born in Bethlehem, but he was from Nazareth. So uh, that's a little confusing to people, but Nazareth was the place where he grew up and this was his hometown. So in Nazareth, there is one massive well, an ancient well called Mary's well, Mary, mother of Jesus. And it's called Mary's well because in the gospels, we have a tradition that before Jesus was born, Mary was sitting at the well, getting water for her family. This is the only well in town. And suddenly the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said to her, Mary, you're going to have a child. He's going to be Jesus. I mean, it's one of the great touchstones of the origins of Christianity. And the question is, what do we learn from archeological sites like this about the life and times of Jesus. So first, so I was working at this, uh, at this well, it's an ancient well. And what we were able to identify is the, the location. And we could, we could see where the well comes out of. It comes out of a cave in the back of uh, an area. And the, there's a church nearby, nearby the well called the Church of the Annunciation. So about 10 years ago, the bishop, of the church came to me and said, maybe you could help us. We are in the church nearby, in the Church of the Annunciation. Yes, I know where you are, Bishop. And he says, we, we have a little water problem. Uh, it seems that we spent a lot of money. By the way, this is a Greek Orthodox um, Church of the Annunciation. There are two churches of the Annunciation. One is Roman Catholic, and the other one is Greek Orthodox. So this is a Greek Orthodox Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth, and it's right behind where the where the where the public well is, and they they said that the water uh, was causing problems inside the church. So I said, well, you know, I'm really not a plumber. This sounds like you really need a plumber, not an archaeologist. And they said, but maybe you could figure out where the water is coming from, and then we can have the the water um, fixed. 
So I went to the church, very, very ornate, beautiful church that was rebuilt multiple times. It had been destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed. Multi and basically the church that's sitting there is an 18th century uh, church, beautiful marble. And they had spent a million dollars making the iconic um, pictures, illustrations inside the church, uh, fixing them. And now suddenly the moisture from this leak of some kind was causing uh, problems uh, to the, uh, the restored restoration. So um, we brought our equipment in. And the funniest thing is we, we can only work. We went during Christmas time and we can only work overnight. So we worked all night long each night. And then in the morning we were gone and they had church services. And after about a week, we came to, to the bishop and I said, we have good news and we have bad news. And I said, <laughs> so the bishop said, what's the good news? I said, well, the good news is I think we've identified where your leak is and we can tell you, you know, what you could do to do it. I said, you know what the bad news is? The bad news is we've discovered the original church that's about 10 feet below this church. And we think that you can uh, open up that church uh, in one corner and maybe excavate it so you can see what the original church of the Annunciation looked like. And that's what we've been spending the last 10 years doing. After we discovered, we fixed the leak, um, we discovered the actual original floor and the original uh, church of Annunciation that dates back to the time of Queen Helena, who was the mother of Constantine the Great, who established the first church in Nazareth uh, for the church of the, called the Church of the Annunciation. So, you know, over the years, uh, we, we do one section every year. We've now done a massive, massive section where the Greek Orthodox Church has now turned the back, their backyard into an area where pilgrims arrive. And I've, what is very rewarding for me is, look, I'm Jewish. I'm a rabbi and I'm also an archaeologist. But when I'm sitting there um, looking at the excavation and people would come up to the gate and get down on their knees and say, this is where, this is where Mary, mother of Jesus, came with Gabriel and she was, they announced to her the birth of Jesus. And I'll tell you something, in any other profession, <laughs> any other profession, it would be unnerving. But this is, this is the power of archaeology, is that people, I think, are very hungry to see original things like this. I mean, the church, the regular church in the Annunciation that was rebuilt in the 18th century is beautiful. It's got beautiful marble. It's got gold and silver. It's got all the, the makings of... Uh, uh, the kinds of things that people love to see in churches. But this is the original uh, floor. This is the original area where the uh, church services took place. And yes, there was inside the church an original font where the water came out, where people 
would probably say this is the original well of Mary. So the other one that, that uh, is in the, the square is probably a public well. And this is the original private well that the church enclosed uh, underneath a um, underneath a, a church. So um, yeah, so th that's that's really where this all began with, I think with, with Sam, is we were talking about our excavation there. Last time we were there was 2019. We were supposed to go back in 2020. Obviously we didn't get to go back, but hopefully we'll get back in 2021. He is Dr. Richard Freund, Bertram and Gladys Aaron Professor of Jewish Studies at Christopher Newport University in Virginia, formerly of the University of Hartford. Doctor, the time has flown by. Thank you so much for, for sharing some time with us this holiday season. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. Enjoy your holiday. I'm Aaron Kupek. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.